I hear the father saying, my child, why do you fight against me? That stuff that you're feeling stirring up in you, that's me working in you. He said, just let go and just let me have my way and I will catch you. I felt like the Lord was saying that <clears throat> there's someone in here who has wanted the baptism of the Holy Spirit but not really understood and that you felt like that all the baptism of the Holy Spirit is is speaking in tongues and that is one of the that's the manifestation the the evidence <clears throat> but the Lord says to you the baptism of the Holy Spirit is so much more than that in your life and it's my gift to you that you can be greatly excited about because it's it's my gift of love and it's it's as a Christian it's something that you are only a small part of what God has in plan for you in your life and when you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit you can be excited it's not something you have to be scared about that you think that you know am I going to speak in tongues am I not and that's your whole focus but it's knowing that the Holy Spirit is going to guide you and it's it's God breathing into you and making you whole and, and delivering you from those things that, that you fight so often. And that if you'll just submit yourself and let God fill you, that it's going to mean so much in your life. If you're a co-laborer here and you have a word from the Lord, please come and put on the microphone, please. I heard the Lord say that my word will not come back void. And he said, I am the chain breaker. I heard God say, joy and peace is being restored to the body of Christ. So break down the walls that would try to stop the joy and peace. We are blessed with a lot of, a lot of folks in this church. They're talented and anointed and, um, Grateful for what God's put in this in this body, and um, Pastor Richard is going to be coming to share tonight, and he has uh, been been seeking the Lord, and he's he's got a word from God for you tonight. So I encourage you to to turn your focus away from uh, the other things that are uh, trying to distract you right now, if you can. Some of those distractions need to stay alive, so make sure you <laughs> pay attention to some of them, but. Um, they need some, some correction or attention. Uh, you, you, you decide, you either use your discerning of spirits to figure out which ones I'm talking about there. It isn't your iPhone, it's your kids, it just if you need a little help there. Um, and uh, I know we've got some guests here tonight, and I'm, they came uh, with Pastor Richard, so I'm going to let Pastor Richard introduce them as well once he comes on. But y'all welcome Pastor Richard as he comes to share, amen. This is Rick and Jackie Williamson. Jackie is a longtime friend of Pastor Kimberly for 30, 35 years or something like that. And we are very pleased to have him with us. 
Hallelujah. Yes. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you. We thank you for your presence in this place. We confess we need you, Lord God. I need you, Lord, and we all need you. We want to grow in you, Lord, and hear your word. I ask, Holy Spirit, for you to come and take control. I ask for the atmosphere of heaven to be here. I invite the seven spirits of God to all manifest yourself here. Mm, For the atmosphere of heaven to come down. Speak to us, Lord. This message has a bit of a strange title. It's Dead, Dead, Dead. It's the name of it. And it comes from what, in my opinion, is a significant error of theology that I grew up with, uh, both in Baptist circles and in the charismatic movement. Uh, It goes something like this. And I used to believe most of this strongly. I am a sinner saved by grace. I have an old nature and a new nature. The one I feed more will predominate. All Christians sin fairly regularly. They can't help it because they have an old nature. I can't expect too much of myself. I'll just keep trying. Now there's some grains of truth mixed in there. But in my opinion, it is a doctrine of demons. Hallelujah. And it will keep you from becoming who you're called to be in God. And I know I have touched on a fair amount of this before, but the Lord told me to go at it again because if you don't know that you know this stuff, you will not be able to stand under temptation. If you just kind of think maybe it's true, you will not be able to stand. And God wants us to walk in righteousness, to fulfill our destiny in Him. And there's things we have to know beyond our feelings. Because your feelings will contradict the Word of God in this area every time. Amen. Now, we all know, uh, we learned actually last week from Dr. Ted Davis that Jesus took all of our sin as well as our sin natures, okay? Now, Lazarus died and came back after four days. Jesus was like, the way we count it, we would count it part of two days and a whole day in between. It was parts of three days. So as far as raising from the dead, you would think that Lazarus' miracle would be a greater one. However, when the apostles went out preaching the gospel, they preached the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They didn't preach the resurrection of Lazarus. All right? So what is, there's a lot of differences, but I'm just going to highlight one of them, okay? When Lazarus died, he had sin, and he had a sin nature. We don't know what his weaknesses were. Maybe he had a little problem with lust and a little bit of exaggeration, extending the truth a little bit, just by way of example. Lazarus dies, he comes back in four days. Do you think his sin was all gone? Do you think his sin nature was gone? He didn't have any of those problems anymore? No, he did not. So then look at Jesus. Jesus dies with billions of times more sin on him and all this and sin natures on him than anybody else ever did. Okay? Romans 3:23. Y'all probably know this. We're going to end up in Romans 6, Romans 6:23. We're going to end up in Romans 6. It says for the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So if the wages of sin is death, then Jesus was due more wages than anybody else ever had. All right. Now we know the Bible says that our, our stuff was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And I can't prove this part to you, but I feel like when Jesus went down into hell, however long he was there, which I don't think was very long, but he went down to the deepest part of hell, deepest part of death, because death had a grip on him more than anybody else, because there was a lot to grab hold of, a lot of wages, our wages, all of our wages that he took. Amen? So when Jesus overcame death, hell, and the grave, it was a huge, huge miracle. It wiped out the power of hell entirely. Because if they, if they couldn't hold him, then they were doomed. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Now, we were born as sinners. We did have an old sin nature that wanted to do exactly the opposite of whatever God's word said we ought to do. Totally contrary. I give the example. Married man. Reads the, reads the word, feels convicted he's supposed to kiss his wife. Guess what? His old nature doesn't want to. Now his flesh, flesh is flesh and blood, natural desires, hunger, etc. His flesh wants to kiss his wife. But his old man will find, try and find some excuse not to do it. It's just whatever God says, our old nature wants to do the op wants, wanted to do the opposite, okay? So you've got to understand the difference between flesh and old man because they are not the same. My flesh gets hungry. Hunger isn't bad, but I have to rule over my flesh by my spirit because when the Lord tells me to fast, I had better be able to have dominion and have my spirit rule or I'm in trouble. And if your flesh rules you, you are in trouble. You are a carnal Christian by definition. Okay. So <clears throat> let's look at what Romans 6 the Bible has to say about our old nature. Because you, I want you to really, really hear this. And notice how many times, we're going to start in verse 1 of Romans 6. Notice how many times it says that our old nature died. Died at salvation and it died at water baptism. <clears throat> However you want to parcel that out, it doesn't matter to me. Verse 1. What shall we say then? Should we continue in sin that grace may abound? This is Holmes Christian Standard Bible. It says, absolutely not. Other versions say, may it never be. It is a vehement, absolutely not. Okay? How can we who died to sin, that's the first one, still live in it? Oh, are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God, so we too may walk in newness of life. Hallelujah. Mm. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. And it doesn't actually even say likeness in there. It's really, we shall be his resurrection. Wow. Hallelujah. For we know that our old self was crucified with him. Our old self, there's again, 
crucified with him, the old nature crucified with him, in order that sin's dominion over the body may be abolished, so that we may no longer be enslaved of sin, since a person who has died, the old man died, is freed from sin's claims. All right, let me just make sure this is clear to all of you. So when we were born again, we, our old man, died. We died to sin. This, this old man went down in the waters of baptism, stayed down there, just like the old nature stayed down at the bottom of hell. And the new man, the new nature that God put in us comes up out of the water. That's the, the picture of baptism. And it's a picture of the reality. Now, it says here, Satan did have dominion over us. He did. Without Christ, Satan has dominion over you. Hallelujah. But that dominion was abolished. We are no longer slaves of sin. And since the old man is dead, we are free to follow the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Now, skip down to verse 8. And 11. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with Him. Verse 11. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Consider yourselves dead to sin. Now, my history, when I was in med school, I was in church and there was a call for repentance and I felt convicted and I had stuff in my life I couldn't get victory over. I went forward. The man that ministered to me happened to be a doctor, a wonderful man of God. And he talked to me about how he got this revelation that he was dead to sin and alive to Christ. But you know what? I could not receive it because I believed, I was taught my old nature was still alive. And it was, how, how do you do this? I, I couldn't get it. And so I stayed in defeat until I got this revelation. And then I got victory. It was just that simple. So for me, it, I'm passionate about it because it has made a difference in my life. Hallelujah. Okay, verse 12. Let's read a few more. The whole chapter really has it, and I just couldn't stand reading that much Scripture. It's just too much. Uh, I, I'm not against Scripture. I read lots of it myself, but to preach it, it's, it's, it begins to be a lot. Okay, verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its desires and do not offer any parts of it to sin as weapons for unrighteousness. The devil will use parts of your body as weapons of unrighteousness if you let him. But as those who are alive from the dead, old man dead, we're alive, offer yourselves to God and all the parts of yourself as God's weapons for righteousness. Hallelujah. For sin will not rule over you, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Hallelujah. So under the law, before we received grace through Jesus, we were slaves of sin, but because of the grace of God in saving us, He gave us a new nature, and we are now, present tense, free to walk in righteousness. Now, I want to tell you how this has worked what I, how I have seen this work. And I don't think my experience is at all unique. I think it is common to man. All right? What we forget about in all of this, if you believe the old man is still alive or if you used to believe it or whatever, we forget the enemy. Whenever you totally leave the enemy out of any equation when you're dealing with sin, you end up 
messed up sometimes, okay? Because he's very much involved if there's anything to do with sin. The enemy is good at his job. He's good at tempting us, okay? And so he has the ability, I wish he didn't, but he does. He has the ability to temporarily give you the feelings and desires that cause temptation. And he can plant thoughts in your head. All right. Now, several demons usually work together. They work in packs. You only have one demon attacking you. You're sorry. That's not well. Let's not go there. <laughs> you're you're an easy target because they usually come in packs around me. I'll just tell you. But one of the ones in the pack is almost always a familiar spirit. Why is that? Because a familiar spirit is really good at making this temptation feel and act and be like your old man was so that it feels like it's you. I mean, it feels like it's you. And if you will, uh, I want to talk about what to do about it. But the trouble is, if you have the theology that your old man is alive, then you assume that's you because it feels like you. And your only recourse is to try and push down you. It's very hard to push yourself down. And so you're, you're slapping yourself on the rear. What do you think you're doing? You're supposed to be a man of God, a woman of God, whatever. You need to be better. Get a handle on yourself. And so you're trying to fight yourself into being right. And the demons are over there laughing. Because you think you can do self-motivation and overcome hell and overcome demons. And let me tell you, we're no match for them. They're over there just pounding away at you intensely. Why can they continue to do that? Okay. I don't pretend to know all the whys of this, but I'm pretty sure... Normally, the enemy can only attack you for a little while if you don't partner with it. That's, that's the first way of, of resisting. If you recognize, this is not me, this is my old man, I will not partner with that. It's not who I am. And you just go on with your life and ignore it. He has lost his authority. It just, he just had a brief window he was allowed to attack. And if you don't partner with it, those feelings and desires, they evaporate. It is crazy. I have proved it. I didn't hardly believe it, but I did it, and it worked over and over again. He can't, he, but when you partner, how do you partner with these demons? All you have to do is say, oh, man, I wish I didn't have that temptation right now. Shucks. And you just gave them license to keep at their job. And they can keep attacking you and keep doing what they're doing until you change something and get rid of them. All right? So we need to not partner with the enemy and not try and think that we can overcome hell by sub pushing ourselves down. We can either, one, not partner with them, or you can do either one of these. But this, the second one is especially good if you've kind of started to slip up. You kind of didn't recognize it right off the bat. Maybe you thought something you shouldn't have. Maybe you did something not quite right. Well, then, the, then they're on you. At that point, you haven't lost the battle. You just rebuke the demons in Jesus' name and tell them to leave. You have authority over demons. If your old man is alive, you can't cast him out. 
But if it's a demon, you can cast him out. And that's what it is. It's not the old man. So you have a tremendous advantage of being able to get rid of the dumb thing. You can't get rid of your flesh. But your flesh isn't the problem. The problem is if you believe it's the old man and you're trying to get rid of what you think is you and it's an evil spirit. All right. I think you all got that. All right. Now I want to move to Romans chapter 7. There's another, and this is because otherwise the enemy will use this chapter to try and confuse you and give you doubts about the old man being dead. And if he can do that, then he'll win a bunch of battles on you. Okay? So this is just by way of, of pure teaching. But we're going to read a few verses from Romans 7, 14 through 19. Romans 7, 14 through 19. Same, same version. For we know that the law is spiritual. This is Paul talking now. We know that the law is spiritual, but I am made out of flesh, sold into sin's power. For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to, but I do what I hate. And if I do what I do not want to, I agree that the law, with the law that it is good. But I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh, for the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For if I do, if I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want, that I do not want to do. I'm sorry, this is hard to read. All right, now, I was taught for years, been taught from the pulpit, that, you know, Paul obviously had issues with his old man, and he, even Paul was trying to put it down and was struggling with it. And so you go, well, my goodness, how am I supposed to be able to do this if Paul couldn't do it? I mean, you know, if you just take this on surface value, then you're stuck. And then you've got a problem because... It's totally contradicting the last chapter. I mean, diametrically opposed, if you interpret it that way. And I'm here to tell you that is not the interpretation. It is wrong. It's, it creates a doctrine of demons, as I said. Okay. Now, there's two very similar ways to interpret this. And I will give you sort of what I was taught earlier, and, and, and then I'm going to tell you what the Passion Translation says. And, and it doesn't contradict itself. They just have a deeper deeper thing that's pretty cool. So Paul is not talking about himself, but he is telling a story of what he was when he was a lost Pharisee who knew the law, he knew what was right, but he was unable to do it because he had an unregenerate, he had an old nature. All right, so he's using a storytelling technique, a construct is what it can be called, where he's using the present tense but he's really talking about the past tense. Now, we do this in English all the time. It's done in all sorts of other languages. In Swahili, there is a storytelling tense that is a present tense, but everybody knows when you use the verb that way, you're, you're telling a story that, it's, that it actually was past tense. And it's a powerful storytelling technique. You know, if, you, if, you, if you, a good storyteller does this all the time, you'll say, so I'm driving down this dark road, and all of a sudden, a buck runs right out in front of me. And, and when you tell it in present tense, everybody sort of is drawn into the story, and they're with you. And Paul, that's what Paul's doing. All right. Now, let me read you what the Passion Translation says. Uh, and this is talking about verse 15, which says, For I do not understand what I am doing, because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Okay. 
Paul uses use of the word I is most likely his identification with the people of Israel under the law prior to receiving Christ. It is not merely an autobiographical statement. In other words, it's saying it's not just that Paul was in that position, which he, he was, but a rhetorical device of solidarity, big language here, solidarity with the experience of those who live under the law. Romans chapter 7 is not the present experience of any one person, but the testimony, this is cool, the testimony of a delivered person, saved person, describing the condition of an undelivered one. So the whole thing in Romans 7 is describing the condition of somebody who's lost. They want to do what's right, and the ability to do it is not there. They just cannot, all right? So don't let Romans chapter 7 pull you back into believing that the old man is not dead, because that's a pitfall I wanted you to be able to avoid. Amen? Amen. Now, Chris Vallotton teaches this very well. He was the one who introduced me to the, to the truth, and it has become part of who I am. I didn't have to, I didn't find where I learned it from him. It's just, it's just in me. Uh, but I did learn it from him. I mean, I learned it other places as well, but I finally believed it when he went through Romans 6 and read the whole chapter and there's like 16 times where he says you're dead, 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 dead. The old man is dead. And I finally was able to believe it at that point. I'm hoping you will too. But he said something. He said, and this was wild to me. He said, I don't sin very often. I make lots of mistakes. But I, I don't. I may go weeks without sinning. And I was startled. I was brought up to bring, yeah, you probably sinned 10 times before breakfast. You know, it was just everything about you was evil and bad and yuck. And that's how I was taught. And so this was really radical to me. But it's very, very attainable. Yeah. And, I, and I'm not at Chris Valentin's standard quite, but I'm a lot farther along than I used to be. I don't sin all that often. But I will tell you, 10 or 15 years ago, when I learned this, I sinned more. And the consequences were usually not all that bad. I wasn't doing major bad stuff. I was just getting in the flesh. Uh, and now, it's terrible. I mean, the impact of a, a few words when I get in the flesh are like huge compared to what they were before. You have the same experience, I'm sure. Exactly, exactly, yes, it's, it's flipped me out. So I'm going to go to a segue into a, a parallel teaching. And this also comes from Chris Vallotton, and you're welcome to uh, do it. This comes from a, a teaching he does called Paupers to Princes. A pauper is a poor, indigent sort of person, somebody who's gets welfare and benefits from charities and stuff like that because they're, they're so uh, on the edge of society, kind of. Well, he had, and this is sort of the same experience that, that Pastor Ballard was describing and that I'm describing. He had the same sort of thing. He had somebody in his office come to him, and they were really hurt, really hurt, a real godly person by things that he had said. And he went to the Lord because he, he didn't get it. And this is what the Lord gave him. Okay? 
It comes from, from that revelation. Okay, a prince destined to be king or to be at least part of the royal family is raised to understand that he has a great deal of significance. What he says when he's out and about can really bring a lot of discredit to the royal family, can really cause havoc. He can't just be flippant with his words. He needs, he needs to think about what he says and be careful and, and, and act, uh, you know, he acts sort of like a royal person might. If he goes to another country, he can reflect on the whole nation that he comes from by something stupid that he says or does, just having fun, whatever, okay? So he learns that his words are weighty whether he wants them to be or not. They just are. He can't help it. And he may not like it, but it's too bad. That's who he is. And he's locked into that. There's no, no getting out of it. Now the pauper, on the other hand, is a nobody. Nobody cares what he says. They could give a rip. They don't really care that much what he does unless he breaks something or causes great damage or whatever, and then they'll cart him away. So he's free to cut up. He's free to be flippant. He can talk negative. He can talk junk as much as he wants. It just doesn't matter what he says. He doesn't need a whole lot of self-control because, after all, he's a nobody. Well, in Chris Fallotton's case, he was raised as a pauper. He had multiple stepdads that didn't care a lick about him as long as he stayed out of their hair. He didn't want anything to do with them. And so when he became a man of God, uh, you know, a prophet, he was used to do whatever he wanted because nobody cared. But all of a sudden, people cared. And they started getting really hurt because they're looking for words from a prophet. And he says stuff that wouldn't be that bad if he was a nobody, but he's not a nobody, all right? So where does this have to do with you? Well, I think you probably already know, but I want to spell it out for you. There is no more royal of a family than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with me? There's no greater royalty. The royalty on earth pales compared to that royalty. All right? So we, those of you who are born again, which is very much most of you, have been adopted into that family. All right? And you are supposed to grow up to be sons, to be mature sons in the kingdom where he actually turns over functions of the kingdom to you, and you help run the kingdom. That's what God intends us to be, mature sons. All right, There's, that's not the only thing, though. We have married into the royal family. We are the bride of Christ. If you are the bride of Christ, then you are the daughter-in-law of Father God. So when somebody like from this country recently marries into the royal family in England, they are no longer commoners. For the rest of their life, they have become royalty, whether they like it or not, and they had better learn to act like it, or they're in trouble. Nobody's going to say, oh, well, they don't know any better. Nah, they'll take full advantage of any weakness or ignorance of the thing. Hallelujah. So 
the more we grow into our identity, the more, first of all, weighty our words become. People expect us to be speaking words from heaven, words that are significant for their lives. And the more weighty our actions become. So we cannot afford to think of ourselves as nobodies anymore. All right? If we do, we will cause great damage. It is very important, and it is not prideful to know who you really are in the kingdom of God. The devil will try and tell you, oh, well, you're a, it's humble to think you're a nobody. Oh, no, it's not. I will tell you it's sin. Because it will affect your behavior. It will give you license to do stuff that you wouldn't do otherwise. And you'll be undermining the one who adopted you into his family, the one who married you, who made you part of the royal family. Now, we're not divine. Don't get any of that messed up. But we are nevertheless married into that family and adopted into that family. And it's huge. I used to think it was humble to say, I'm only human. I'm, I'm just a man. But I tell you, that's not kingdom thinking. I mean, I still struggle with it some. I, I, I want to slip into that. I want to make excuses. Let me read to you 1 Corinthians 3, chapter 3, verse 3. 1 Corinthians 3, 3. For you are still carnal, but where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? So Paul is rebuking them for thinking and acting like they're mere men. Now you say, well, I am a human. Yes, you are. But you are not just a human. You have the living God living inside of you. You are no longer able to use the excuse of just being human. The fact is you can tap into divine resources anytime you have the word of the Lord, anytime God tells you to, anytime you have the faith to do it. You are not a mere man anymore. And you're not allowed to act like it either. Or you can, but you're going to be in this group of people that... Paul rebukes, okay? Oh, hallelujah. We are not mere men, mere women, mere children. We have been born again. We have Jesus by the Holy Spirit living in us. We have a new nature that loves God, loves people, and loves what's right. We have the power of the Holy Spirit wanting to flow through us as much as we will let Him. We can no longer think of ourselves as mere men, as nobodies, as paupers. It's not humility. It's carnal. You may be uncomfortable thinking of yourself as royalty in God's kingdom, but you had better adjust your thinking. It is reality. Amen? That's part of what repentance is, is changing the way we think. It is not humility. And I would like a little bit of help from Pastor John. I want to read uh, a verse from Ecclesiastes 10.16. Um, I'll read it from two versions. It says, What sorrow for the land ruled by a servant, who's a land whose leaders feast in the morning. Happy is the land whose king is a noble leader and whose leaders feast at the proper time to gain strength for their work and not to get drunk. 
The Living Bible says, Woe to the land whose king is a child and whose leaders are already drunk in the morning. Happy the land whose king is a nobleman and whose leaders work hard before they feast and drink, and then only to strengthen themselves for the task ahead. Why the woe? Because the servant, the child, thinks he's a nobody and he acts like a nobody and he can do great damage because now he's a leader in the land. He's a noble person. We can't afford that, guys. We can't afford to think that way. So if you're thinking of yourself, or you have been, as a mere human, as a nobody, not as a prince or princess of the royal family of the highest order, I invite you to come to this altar and repent. Do some business with God. Come to grips with the fact that you're going to receive and accept who you are. I just invite you to talk to him. He took us, he took you, he took me from the ash heap and seated us with princes. That's what God did. He did it to each one of you. Hallelujah. It is available. It is the truth. Hallelujah. It does not bring him any pleasure when you as his child, the one he loves and holds dear and is adopted, act like you're not. You're a nobody. Let me tell you, if you're God's child, you are not a nobody anymore. It's a lie from hell. Hell wants you to believe you're a nobody. But it is not the truth. Don't reject the love he has lavished on you. Don't reject the adoption into his family. Don't reject Jesus as your bridegroom. Don't reject Father God as your father-in-law. He wants to dance with you. He wants relationship with you. He wants you to receive his love because he loves his kids. He loves his his daughter-in-law. Jesus loves his bride. He wants you to receive his love. You cannot receive his love if you're putting up the screen, I'm just a mere man, I'm just just a mere human. That's a rejection of the very love that Father God brings to you. Hallelujah. Don't do it. Receive who you are. That's true humility is just to walk in who you are, who God made you to be. The other is a false humility that is a deception from hell that we've all walked in. Every one of us have walked in. And it's not the truth. It's a lie from hell. Hallelujah. Amen. Lord Jesus, I want to lift up everyone under the sound of my voice. Lord God, this is not an easy thing for us. We've been, we've been given a twisted view of humility and what it is. And we thought it was too much for us to think of ourselves as something so special as to be part of a royal family. Sounds almost bizarre to our American minds, Lord God. But Lord, we choose, we ask for help, and we choose to believe you, Lord God. We choose to receive who we are, not to be haughty or stuck up or or act weird, but simply to be sober about what we do, to be diligent about being obedient to you, to walk hand in hand with the Holy Spirit and be obedient and have a boldness to know that we are accepted, that we are loved, that we are part of, of something so amazing that you have done for us. We ask you to help us. We believe you to help us. Change our minds. Change the way we think about ourselves and about others, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.